You're about to hear my conversation with Fate Seguir. We talk about all things environmental, social, and governance, including how to think about designing a product shelf to reflect investors' ESG principles, how to incorporate those principles into institutional investing, and why Europe is ahead of most parts of the world within this space. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Fate Seguir. Fate is the head of our sustainable investing at McKenzie. Uh, she looks after everything under ESG. We'll get into uh, more of that in just a moment. Fate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to a wide-ranging conversation. Let's get started with how you became interested in all things sustainable investing. It's a great question. Great way to start. Um, I, I honestly, Matt, think I've been uh, training for this uh, for this job in this space probably for the better part of my uh, career. Um, you know, I've been uh, in financial services for uh, 13, 14 years now, and I've really always been focused on um, you know, making sense of, of data and research. And I've held a number of uh, roles building new uh, businesses, new departments within larger organizations. And, you know, a c- couple of years ago, it started to pique my interest into the sustainable investing space. As a couple of years ago, I picked up a book called um, Invested, uh, written by uh, Danielle Town. Her father is a well-known financial advisor in the U.S. and also author of a book called uh, Rule Number One. And so there... She basically, Danielle talks about her journey to becoming an investor herself. She was, you know, a lawyer by trade and, and started uh, managing her own uh, investing. And, and so much of what she talks about is really aligning her investment, um, uh, you know, stock selection uh, approach to her own values. And it's that started translating into the products that she uh, she purchased and, and, you know, doing research on the companies that she engaged with on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, started pulling those same companies into her portfolio. And much of those were very much aligned to her values and, and you know, what, 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 she, what she saw as, as important to, to building a sustainable future. So, you know, that I, I started uh, incorporating some of those practices into my day-to-day life and even in, into my own uh, investment portfolio. Um, you know, and from there, I, I kind of, you know, started to do more and more research uh, about what I was holding. Um, so became very familiar with, you know, at the time, probably the, the first of the tools that are available to investors today, uh, the Morningstar Globe ratings, um, sure. you know, and helping you define um, what, um, you know, the types of uh, uh, products or the sustainability of the products that, that you're in. And so when at McKenzie, we started to, you know, talk about growth catalysts and, and you know, what we needed to, to build to ensure that, you know, the organization was meeting client demand and, and building um, the right structure for the future. I kind of said, yes, I think I think I can do this and many of my uh, strengths were well suited for that, you know, from, you know, a strategy to taking strategy to implementation uh, plans. I have a, 
background in accounting, uh, love kind of big data and research, which is huge in this big kind of um, uh, ESG uh, data challenge that we face on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then also, you know, very much a client, uh, this is a, a client orientation, right? And it's a it's a new way to create uh, and speak about client value. Um, so, so that's kind of that's how I've arrived, and I'm, I'm about a year in now, and and uh, really excited to see uh, what we build over the next couple of years. Great, that's uh, that gives me a lot of uh, different things that you you covered there that I'd love to dive more into. I think it'd be helpful for the audience though if before getting into sort of the meat of the conversation, uh, we define some of the terms that are often used and often. Uh, a little bit obscure or, or have suffer from uh, imprecise definitions, call it. So well, I'll, I'll throw three to you and I'll get your opinion on uh, on what they mean. Let's start with E, S, and G. Sure. That's a good one um, to start with. So we see uh, environmental, social, and governance factors. These are non-financial uh, factors or, or insights, data points that may have material a material financial impact um, to a company's you know short-term or long-term uh, performance. Uh, we see ESG as as the building blocks to all things you know in terms of like sustainable uh, uh, strategies uh, or investing styles. Um, with, with regards to the, it's important to point out that on the materiality side, you know, depending on the industry uh, or sector, th- those factors will differ. So, for example, in the oil and gas uh, sector, um, you know, carbon emissions are, are a material factor that, you know, portfolio managers should be looking at and, and comparing, you know, that company to its peers and in terms of where they stand. In consumer goods, uh, it kind of transitions. Now you're looking at energy management um, so not not necessarily uh, emissions. So um, so we see ESG. Think of them as as building blocks to uh, an investment strategy. Got it. Uh, how about SRI? That's my favorite acronym. We acronym. Sorry. Uh, I, when we started <laughs> down this path, we actually my my. Uh, team and my, my role, our mandate was called SRI investing. We've recently okay. shifted to another term, but um, we, we find um, so three things that SRI investing stands for socially responsible investing, which is a, a term that was widely used in Canada. And it was more uh, grounded on exclusionary um, uh, practices. So you would exclude things like alcohol, tobacco, fossil fuels from your investments. Um, another term for SRI is uh, socially responsible and impact investing, which is a term that's more widely used uh, in the U.S. and it encompasses, uh, you know, all things uh, under this uh, in in this space. Um, and then in in Europe, they use the term sustainable and responsible investing. So, for that reason, <laughs> we've we've decided to stay away from acronyms at uh, at McKenzie because they do have a little bit of different uh, translations uh, in different jurisdictions. I'll uh, I'll take that as my lead to stay away from SRI <laughs> then during this conversation as well. Since it Perfect. was uh, a little bit beyond me, um, and and you mentioned that you switched from SRI, and and I know that you're a head of a sustainable investing, so that clearly that's what you switched it to. What does that mean? So uh, that's a it's a, a broad definition, and we see it as uh, sustainable investing as a number of investing approaches that either consider the impact of ESG risks on a portfolio. And or uh, they could be also approaches that look to uh, create positive impact from the use of ESG uh, data and insights. Got it. Uh, great. 
so keeping this in mind, uh, let, let's get into uh, some of the uh, some of the different questions that I have for you. Um, so sustainable investing and frankly ESG, both of those uh, have really been a uh, an emerging trend in North America over the past call it three four years. We really uh, started to see a lot about them. I know my clients are asking about them uh, very frequently about integration uh, and the like. Um, what do you think is the driving force behind this trend? And is it sustainable? Uh, I know that in the past we've seen upticks of interest uh, that have sort of died off, uh, but this time feels different to me. Wondering if it's the same for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do believe that it's sustainable, but um, before I get to that, maybe I'll just take a, a step back. I, I think, you know, this is not a new concept. And if, you know, in all the research that you look at, one of the first um uh, instances or events that really helped to, uh, you know, solidify the space is, is the uh, Exxon Valdez oil spill dating back to 1989, right? That was a right. catastrophe, wildlife, all, all kinds of things were, were damaged. And, and post that, um, that oil spill, uh, series, uh, which is an investor network was, was created. And it was created really to help uh, ensure that companies are thinking about how they're t building a sustainable future and starting to layer in, you know, governance standards, standards for, you know, how companies, uh, you know, treat the environment and and then, you know, obviously on, on the social side as well, how they treat their uh, employees, labor re relations and so on. Um, an extension of that is the Global Reporting Initiative, which is, you know, something that was trying to, is still in place today and trying to create consistency uh, across corporations as to how they report, you know, on on their ESG uh, ESG data and ESG uh, factors. Um, more and, and so that's you know that's obviously been in existence for a number of decades. More recently, I think uh, BP's Deepwater Horizon oil spill, right back in I think 2010, and then the more recent right. Volkswagen. So you've got all these scandals now that you know where if if you're a portfolio manager and 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 you've got any of these investments in your uh, portfolio, these securities in your portfolio, um, and you're looking at financials alone, you may have missed these signals that would have been provided to you by, you know, looking at the, you know, how a, how a corporation, um, you know, assesses its governance and oversight, what role the board plays in terms of overseeing management and so on. So, so, you know, and PMs that, that looked at um, ESG, uh, you know, probably did much, much better than those that didn't. Um, and then, you know, in 2015, you saw the, the Paris agreement come into, into place. Um, and that created more focus. Uh, more than a couple of hundred uh, countries signed up for that, and that meant to uh, maintain global warming to a two-degree uh, increase. Um, same year, the U UN introduced the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, which were, you know, seventeen meant to, to address seventeen of the world's uh, biggest problems and, and to unite us uh, against those. So you have all these things kind of happening uh, in the background, um, and then you know over. The the, the last couple of years in, in North America and maybe, you know, more so driven in, in the U.S. rather than Canada, you saw this, you know, shift, uh, some of the largest corporations signing up to, to be a purpose-driven organizations. And so now you're starting to see the role of corporations becoming much more active in, in our community, in, in the environment, uh, in, and in, in how they deliver, um, you know, stakeholder value rather than shareholder value. And there's been, you know, a number of academic 
academic research that states that, you know what, if you look at a number of stakeholders, you know, putting, creating client value, making sure you're respectful of the environment, your community, putting your employees, uh, you know, at, at the center of what you do, then shareholder value will, will be created. Shareholder long-term value, I have to say, uh, not, not, maybe not short-term value. So this, this all kind of, you know, came to play. And I think, Definitely accelerated in the in you know 2020 with the pandemic, um, which helped I think to unite the globe, right against uh, this this one you know uh, it, what we all saw is maybe some some challenges that were surfaced you know with systemic um, challenges of today's society right in, income disparity uh, racism kind of became at, at the center of this that's on on one end the other you know thing I think the the last year helped to um, highlight for us is hey this Paris Agreement that we've been talking about and trying to align to we can do it. Right. Like we stayed in our homes. We didn't get in our cars. Right. And it just it started to kind of give us, I think, a united belief um, that that uh, we can move uh, to a more sustainable future. Um, so I so that's where I think it, it definitely is is sustainable. You know, I, I saw this morning, I think, as you may have as well, um, um, the uh, price of a barrel of oil is back up at sixty dollars plus. Uh, I hope this is, you know, just a little bit kind of part of our transition, but I hope we don't lose of what we learned uh, about what we can achieve together, right, in the last year. So, so we'll see kind of how, how that lasts. And if, you know, many companies last year, uh, asset managers and, and corporations alike make commitments to the Paris Agreement. Uh, you know, we have 2030 targets in Canada um, to get below 2005 levels. Um, so, so I, I think it is. Uh, that's where I think it's sustainable, and and maybe just a bit, Matt. In in terms of what we saw in the asset management space in Canada and and the, the mutual fund ETF space, we launched forty one products as an industry last year in Canada in sustainable uh, products. So so that's that's huge, right? We saw um, um, what was it? It was. Uh, Something like a sixty percent plus increase in in uh, in flows over over uh, twenty nineteen. So very significant. Um, and and what we're seeing as well on the performance side, you know, for those that may be a little bit uh, skeptical still, still is uh, about seventy three percent of. Uh, the mutual funds that have been launched um, outperformed uh, half of their uh, peers uh, in in uh, 2020. So all good signals that th this is uh, sustainable. Great. I'm curious, as you were going through the uh, inception of, of it, uh, going back to the Exxon uh, oil spill uh, and going through these these challenges, it, it's um, it's interesting how the shift of focus in a E, S, and G sense, or, or particularly an E and S sense, uh, have gone from what I'll call smaller events like the Exxon oil spill. I don't want to minimize that. But when you compare it to something as large and as persistent as climate change, um, I wonder how much the investors now were approaching that we're going to tackle this challenge. And that just requires uh, sustained uh, investing over many, many decades, frankly. Um, do you think that is motivating it uh, indirectly, directly, or, or is that just a spurious correlation that I'm making up? Oh, wait. You know, I think one of um, – it's interesting because I was, I was looking, Matt, at the impact to stock price of Exxon when that happened versus BP, right? Uh, that happened, what, 20-some uh, uh, years later. Um, right. 
and and I, I think uh, social media, our access to information, um, investor networks, advocacy groups, I think like those are all being heard, right? We're much more, we have a lot more information at our fingertips today. And so I think that's, um, that's driving a very different, uh, you know, a very different reaction now. Um, I think in, in the last year, you know, and what, what we saw with the, I think what the European Union's doing in uniting, um, you know, to, to support in support of uh, climate change and the regulations that they're offering there, those are all, I'm hoping those some of those will come into the U.S. and, and Canada. I think the Biden administration has some some uh, you know very ambitious uh, goals in that space. Um, but I, I do think I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but I, I do think it's the um, the access to information, uh, social media is really what's kind of helping also accelerate uh, accelerate that today. Interesting point. Uh, you referenced uh, the regulation coming out of Europe. Uh, I think it's well known that Europe was sort of leading the ESG integration for many years, both in society and politics, but also in investing. Um, you know, it's hard to quantify these things, but how far behind is sort of the rest of the world compared to Europe? And and when you look at Europe, do you, do you get a sense for what the future holds uh, within Canada, uh, America, or or do you think it's uh, unique to, to Europe? Um, I don't. I don't think it's unique to Europe. I do think some of. Um, I think some of the regulations will will come here to, to a certain extent. Um, I think the one of the main differences that I'm seeing in Europe is yes, they have regulation uh, in place, but I also think they really owned um, you know climate change. I think you know their uh, the way they're structured, the open open market there, it presents a very different um, very different economy than than the U.S. and than North America. Um, I think that um, what what we're seeing there is so across, um, you know, the U.S., Canada, Europe, you're seeing a, a lot of activity uh, within ESG integration, and, and that's like being able to uh, um, assess uh, the risk that uh, environmental, social, and government governance factors might have on your uh, portfolio. So we're seeing that across the board. That's where the bulk of assets are in the U.S. and Canada, Europe as well. Um, but what you're seeing the faster growth in in Europe is on the sustainable solutions. So these are um, these are intentional products that are meant to um, um, you know, have have an impact. So they're kind of offering you the the performance, but also they have an impact outcome, and they they lead. They often lead with the ES and G factors. So it's not merely like a hey, it's a part of my process. No, I'm I'm going to lead with it first. Um, and so in in Europe, they're at about 1.7 trillion Canadian dollars now, and 3,200. Um, um, investment funds that that are intentional sustainable funds. You know, in Canada we're at about 130. Um, the U.S. as well. They're they're still. I don't have the exact number for the U.S., but but it's uh, you know a couple hundred billion in in assets. Um, so so nowhere compared to uh, Europe. So we're behind, but uh, but I, I do think you know when we we will start to see the shift through the U.S. and then and then into Canada. Maybe I'll stick on that topic then, these uh, sustainable solutions that have garnered so much interest in the U.S. Uh, part of your role is uh, taking a look at our product shelf. Um, how do you think about designing uh, a product shelf uh, for both uh, these like sustainable solutions, I guess, specifically? 
Yeah, so we, you know, we've spent um, a great deal of time with uh, with advisors, you know, last year, just trying to understand what investors are, are looking for. And, and much of this, it, you know, we have to, there's a, the, the demand and the asks we get from, from our, our clients and advisors, but there's also, uh, you know, just trends that, that we're seeing in the market and we are paying close attention to Europe. You know, we are, um, obviously, climate change and, and the environment is a big focus for us. Uh, as you know, we, we had the uh, acquired Greenship Financial Corporation uh, at the end of last year. Um, you know, and one of the, the very important things I know for, for us as an organization is to ensure that we have uh, investment teams that bring um, the di- a diver- diversity of thought, but also a conviction to their investing uh, style. And I think, you know, if, if uh, I, I know many of our um, advisors know John Cook, and I know he's been on on the podcast as well, Matt, and you can hear it in his voice, like, this is what he does, this is what he believes in, and it's absolutely a rem- remarkable thing. And himself and, and Greg Payne, uh, the uh, co-PM on, on the, the fund uh, that uh, is available to investors today, they've been doing this for 10 years plus. Um, so we, we will continue to uh, explore opportunities uh, with uh, with the green ship investment team under the McKenzie umbrella uh, we are also looking at um, core sustainable solutions so when we're looking at you know our environmental fund we always uh, you know tell ad- advisors to that this is a maybe a smaller allocation uh, five to fifteen percent of your portfolio we're looking at bigger uh, bigger uh, core solutions uh, as well over the next uh, coming months so that's that's how we're thinking about it. We want the thematic play environment very important, uh, but also we we want to make sure that uh, we've got kind of broader uh, solutions to offer. Makes sense. Um, the other big portion uh, when we're sticking with investors and and uh, and products is this concept of ES and G integration in the investment process. Um, as many listeners will know, that McKenzie is has fifteen different boutiques. Uh, how do you tackle that sort of ESG integration into investment processes with 15 different uh, teams that think and do things uh, independently? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, it's it's one that we, we think about often, you know, just to to confirm so when we think about esg integration this has to be a a systematic uh process that's built within the team's uh broader investment process right so um so you you know they they have to be able to understand um the material factors material esg factors that that may impact uh you know the portfolio outcomes um that that they're uh, of their portfolio um and so you know for for us it's you know, really ensuring that um, we're building for a hybrid model, a framework for how our team will work with across the, the investment boutiques. We believe that ESG integration and, and um, you know, activities like active ownership or, or the, the portfolio manager's role as a steward of capital, right, that, that he or she is managing is absolutely a mainstream practice. And so we we work with our teams to ensure that we can maintain their that diversity of thought they, that they bring to how they manage their portfolio, but also that they're but they're looking at these ESG factors and and the financial implication that the factor might provide to um, 
to a, a holding or the portfolio overall, that they're translating that in a consistent manner. So you want to give them their independence and in how they integrate you know, at what point in their process they they um, they decide to you know um, integrate. But but at the same time, we want to make sure that they're looking at the data or the insights in a consistent uh, manner. Right. But how a quality uh, or a growth oriented manager might look at a, a ESG factor and how they might choose to integrate it will be very different from a value uh, oriented manager. So that's how we're, we're thinking about it. So some of the tools we're putting in place to kind of maintain the independence, but ensure that we have comfort in, in their ability to demonstrate that to us is, you know, the firm wide strategy and, and policy that we have in place uh, now. So that kind of sets the expectation top down, the whole organization, investment professionals and, and, and the, you know, the rest of our employees understand what we're trying to achieve. Um, we're trying to bring a level um, to ESG data and expertise, a level of expertise and a framework by which, you know, they can all, all our teams will be able to, to work and, and support. So that's something that's a priority for us this year. Uh, training. So big focus for us on assessing climate risk across our portfolios this year. Um, and then corporate engagement as well. I think, you know, and I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to move into a um, putting uh, exclusionary policies in place. Um, I think it's it's important that you know we have a voice at the table with with our you know across our holdings and that our teams understand where there's material factors uh, that they can you know move forward. So lots of training uh, this this year on on that. And then I think you know last but not least is you know how to creating that uh, proper governance and and oversight. And I think you know between our our uh, two co-CIOs, uh, Steve Locke and Leslie Marks, and, and our CEO, Barry, they're going to be critical at, at ensuring that they're setting that tone and they're helping us uh, ensure that uh, the, the right oversight is in place. You referenced uh, ESG data uh, as part of that, that answer in, in tools in that regards. Um, that's a, a area that seems like it's somewhat fragmented, and I'd love your thoughts on um, sort of what is out there for data, how you get data on things that may not be so um, uh, numeric or empirical, they're more subjective, things like some of the social uh, um, ones that I'm thinking of specifically. And then maybe uh, to get your insights on what's available to sort of the institutional investor, what's available to sort of the retail advisor, and then what's available to the retail investor. Yeah, great, great question. So there's um, a lot of uh, ESG uh, data providers out there today and, and many emerging uh, new ones. And we're, we're actually starting to see some consolidation as well in that market. So it's it's moving That's very welcome. quickly. Yeah, yes, it, it uh, definitely is. But but there's um, there's a couple of layers to this. The, the first kind of the first layer is how corporations report. Right. Today, there's very few standards for how corporations uh, report um, their uh, their ESG data, right? So often, you know, you go to your annual report um, and your annual report will have all your financial data in it. Uh, then you have your, you know, what's 
could be called your corporate responsibility, corporate sustainability report, which is a you know another report that will host much of this uh, ESG data. And and that report doesn't have there's there's few guidelines or standards. And that's what when I referenced earlier that uh, global reporting initiative. That's what the intention of that was meant mm-hmm. to do was start to create some frameworks for which uh, corporations report. I think it's still still lagging, and there's still an inconsistency in in what companies choose to report and how they report it. Um, The um, Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, TCFD, uh, that was, uh, you know, started uh, in in the U.S. a couple of years ago. That was probably one of the first kind of, you know, climate or environment-related reporting that's meant to ensure that companies are, um, first of all, understand their risk, and are starting to think about targets and scenario analysis uh, for um, for for that risk or for their their uh, uh, carbon or environmental footprint. <coughs> so um, so I think as more of these standards come into place, that will help asset managers like ourselves in determining you know what what to uh, what to incorporate. So you'll have you know um, ISS, uh, Sustainalytics, MSCI. You know they all have massive teams of analysts that go out and go through these corporate reports, go on, you know, try to research uh, information on the company and then and translate it into data. The, the challenge, so now you're at that next layer of what asset managers or, or the investment industry might might consume. The challenge there is because there's a, a gap in, in how companies, corporations report, each of these uh, ESG reporting companies will have a unique methodology Right for how they showcase the data or how they you know um, compare companies within their peers. Uh, so you've got another layer of inconsistency, right? So now you're doubling up on on the the challenge. Um, so what what I would you know it's some of the things we're doing, uh, and and this is very much a standard w- across asset management now is really taking a step back and starting to understand okay across you know the asset classes, uh, the investing styles that that we cover. Uh, you know, which data is important? How do we want to look at it? Uh, you know, um, we always start with the um, uh, SASB uh, materiality framework, which is a sustainable accounting board um, that's trying to create standards there as well. But how, how do we how do we think about data and, and you know, what's important for us to uh, to have our, our teams uh, incorporate for um, when we go back to the investor, you know, whether the institutional client or, or a retail investor or advisor, I mean, it's, it's important that they're looking at the tools that are available today. Those are always a good starting point. But I, I also think, you know, taking a step back and, you know, looking at your fund facts, looking at the uh, objective of, of the fund that you're invested in. That's important. That'll tell you if there's a sustainability element uh, in, in the way the PM is investing. Um, looking at the geography uh, allocation or the sector allocation also might give you some additional insights into, you know, what uh, you know, what do you have exposure to? Are you in oil and gas? Well, you know, or or are you in in uh, you know industrials? Do, do they do you cover uh, renewables? Um, so I think that's that's kind of another kind of sound check uh, to to make. But we are hoping that uh, there will be a, a, a convergence across these providers, um, and and I think 
again, it starts with how corporations are, are disclosing, right? Uh, but but right. we're hoping that we'll start to see more and more consistency. Uh, but for now, it's important that investors take, take a kind of a more detailed look at uh, what they're holding. How, um, how important is it to have uh, the firm stance align with some of these major initiatives. So you've referenced the, the Paris Agreement, this idea of uh, of getting the reporting standards to to companies to adhere to that. Uh, the pressure must be put on, you know, or certainly amplified uh, if you have a collective uh, approach as if as investors to pressure corporations to disclose. Um, I guess maybe another way of asking is, is like how many individual decisions do you make as McKenzie on this part, or is it really understanding what the community's position is and supporting that? Yeah, I mean, we, so we, we have, um, you know, um, objectives and, and, uh, you know, initiatives that we want to advocate for, right, uh, as McKenzie. So diversity is very important to us. Uh, climate change, both as a, as a corporation and across our portfolios, and, and climate change in that being able to assess climate risk, um, right, and understanding the implication that that risk will have on our portfolios, that is very important, right, because that, that will essentially have an impact on the the performance or the returns that we're able to generate for our clients. Uh, good governance. I know we never talk about the G. It might sound so boring to people, but the G is actually foundational. And and uh, it's it's absolutely um, required uh, for, for you know, and, and I know our, our teams and I, I know many investment teams across the industry that that is always where they start is ensuring that, uh, you know, they, they have, um, they understand the, the board that they're investing in, they understand the management team uh, and, and so on. Um, for us, it's it will be a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So we want to, uh, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, managing and looking after, we've got 16 investment teams. You want to maintain and harness that diversity of thought without, with, you know, but, but ensuring that all the teams understand the risks that are coming to them. Right, and that they're able to integrate. So that's, that's where I see really the the role of my team is aligning McKenzie um, as a corporation for where where we think the risks are are going to come from. Where we think risks and opportunities. Sorry, I sh- shouldn't should also state that, but ensuring the team understand those and understand what they mean for each of their portfolios. Because um, at the end of the day, Matt, this is this is yes, an asset manager. Um, I. I issue or initiative, but it's just as much an asset owner. So you think about the pension funds, right? And consultancies, uh, they also need to play an active role in that because often we are, uh, we're investing money on their behalf, right? And on on behalf of their members. So so it kind of needs to um, be approached from a a variety of uh, perspectives across that value chain. Right. Um, you referenced uh, governance as, as uh, something that uh, the investment teams take into consideration in, in the importance of governance. Is governance really just an institutional concern? When I think of a, a retail investor, are they concerned about governance or are they more focused on the environmental and social uh, piece? And maybe in general, are there different views and different opinions when you speak to retail investors versus uh, institutional investors and advisors? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 when we think about this, this, um, 
this space and, and what helped to drive much of the demand. Um, initially, it was coming from the institutional investor, right? It tend to be very much longer term horizon, long term oriented. Uh, um, their members tend to be, you know, more more active um, as well, more vocal, I'd say, on, on, in in advocating for you know diversity and and um, and climate change. Um, I do think that the retail investor is 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 there now. Like we are we are getting more requests from. When advisors come to us, many times, you know, yes, they they've read a couple of things uh, online, but it's generally been their uh, investors that have said, "Hey, what is this thing?" or "Am I invested in tobacco? Am I invested in alcohol?" Right? And it becomes yeah. um, an exclusionary conversation first. Um, but you know, and so it piques the advisor's interest, and then and then uh, you know they get in touch with us, and then we walk them through kind of you know our our view of the world. Um, but I, I do think the retail investor is is uh, um, is is there now, but but this was definitely initially a, a, an institutional um, institutional demand. On to your prior question on the the governance, um, you know, I, I think I, I think it's um, governance could be you know it's it's a very important factor. I mean, you're talking about uh, things like you know board oversight, corruption and bribery, cybersecurity, anti money laundering. These are all big things. Right, that can equate into, um, you know, some significant financial loss for a company, and so again, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the the factor, the uh, the group of factors that we want to talk about, um, but it's it's definitely can have a, a very much a short term uh, impact to uh, to a portfolio, and and I think something that. Um, you know, portfolio managers have have been integrating from from the start. I think just now, you know, we're starting to see the environmental risk um, and the impact of that, and, and starting to to look at uh, you know the the social relations uh, aspect as well. Thank you. Um, as as we see more and more asset managers integrate uh, ESG. What, what, what do you think the end game is for companies that are in the, call it more impacted uh, areas? Uh, so I'm thinking of, you know, oil and gas, uh, gun manufacturers, these types of things. There's still going to be demand for these products um, in, in many cases, although you can make the case for oil, perhaps it's uh, in, in, uh, in perpetual decline. Uh, but, but how does that demand get fulfilled? And, and what's the end game? Are, are the public markets sort of go away from those industries and they become more private? Or, or what, do you, what do you expect the market dynamic to look like? Yeah, that's, that, that's a great question, Matt. I think, um, you know, if, uh, so Northleaf, um, you know very well, they've got one of the... Uh, Best ESG integration processes that that I've seen, and and uh, assessing ESG is is critical to how they um, you know evaluate their their investments and their as you know private markets. So initially, when I when I um, you know was coming into this role, that was I, I got asked that question a lot. Well, will companies just delist? And you know, move to private investment, and it's like, no, no, private investors are are looking for these things uh, as well, right? Um, climate risk is climate risk. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you sit. I think, I think within um, oil and gas specifically, I, I'm not sure about gun manufacturers, <laughs> but I'll speak to oil and gas. 
you know, one of the things we, we still have oil and gas in our holdings, right? But I, but I, I know from our resource team, you know, what they look for when they're uh, investing in companies is they're also looking at uh, oil and gas companies that have a plan, right, that are aligning to a net zero future, that are starting to pivot their business Right to align with uh, with um, you know the the Paris Agreement and and so on and there's a number of investments or holdings within our portfolio that that have made that commitment. So I I don't think they're they're going away. I think this is a, sh- a shift. It's a transition, uh, and I think those companies will have to you know work in that uh, within the, the the constraints of that um, uh, transition. And I, I think it it it's it's great how like. And it, what I what I find uh, incredible about um, the oil and gas sector specifically is, is you have a workforce there that you are able to transition, you are able to reskill, right, and and uh, and uh, bring along, so it doesn't have to result in you know like any you know economic uh, uh, harm to to that uh, um, population. So um, so I so I, I I think it will be a shift on on some of the other. You know, gun manufacturers, alcohol, tobacco. I think that's where you get into. You know, some some clients um, may you know not want to be invested in those uh, industries at all, and some might not mind. Right. So we yeah. we really see um, you know sustainable investing as less of a less about exclusion excluding uh, sectors, but more about including companies that are um, you know that that are taking into account what their clients are, uh, you know, clients are demanding that are taking care of their employees that are respectful of their communities um, and and less about uh, exclusions. Great. Uh, Final question for you, Fate. What's next? So for uh, for Mackenzie, it's uh, really you know trying to get a, a good handle on the the data ESG data um, a challenge that we spoke about. So how do we ensure we're delivering good insights, uh, strong insights to our um, to our teams and and our our company as well? Uh, more more training for uh, for our teams, but also uh, across our organization. We really want this to be that initiative that really uh, unites uh, all of Mackenzie employees. Uh, big focus on climate risk uh, and analyzing climate risk as well. Um, and then I, I think, you know, just in the, uh, w- within Canada, there's, you know, we're paying close attention and, and uh, to the CFA uh, disclosure standards, we're hoping on ESG, um, we're hoping that that will help to, to create some guidelines uh, across our industry um, and excited to see what the, you know, the government of Canada also committed uh, over $7 trillion uh, over the next three years uh, to build a more sustainable sustainable finance market in Canada. So we're excited to see what uh, what comes out of that uh, as well. That'll definitely help to, to frame our, um, our, our strategy and our, our plans going forward. Great. Fate, thank you for being so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. This was, uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for uh, the time. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. 
commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.